Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word to which we draw our attention today is the epistle reading for today from Revelation chapter 12. I'll again read the final portion of that text, and this will be from a slightly different translation. Please rise for the reading of our text. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the rule of his Christ. Because the accuser of our fellow Christians, the one accusing them before our God day and night, has been thrown out. And they conquered him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life but were willing to die. For this, be glad, you heavens, and those who live in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great anger, knowing that he has little time. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. What do you call someone who passes along a message for someone else? Well, typically we call that person a messenger. Now, whom does God use if he wants to pass along a message to a person or to a group of people? Whom does God use to do that? Well, he uses messengers. We call them angels. And we probably have more questions about angels than we do answers. For example, on what day of the six days of creation were angels created? Why is it that there are only some angels in the Bible that are given names? How many angels are there? How many people have actually seen angels? Now, many people, even non-Christians, seem to be fascinated with angels. And unfortunately, some of them have gone just a little bit overboard in, in their interest in these heavenly beings. Some people think that they are creatures to whom we should pray, maybe even to worship, that we should constantly be seeking their assistance in our day-to-day lives. Now, this is not to say that we should condemn any talk of angels just because some people go a little bit overboard in their ideas about angels. Angels are important creatures throughout scripture. They play an important role in the history of God's people. We don't want to ignore them. And that's part of the reason why the church celebrates this particular festival, this festival of St. Michael and all angels. On this day, we give thanks to God for creating angels. We thank him for sending angels when we need them to protect us. But in this particular text from Revelation about angels, this text about Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and his angels, you may wonder, well, what does this have to do with me? And actually what's depicted in this part of John's vision is very important for you, for me, for 
every person who has ever lived or ever will live. Apart from what's depicted here in this, in this passage, we would have no life. So we're going to sum this up today simply by saying Michael and his angels defeat the devil. Now before we continue, we need to think about that question. Well, who is Michael? It's not really crystal clear in the Bible who he is. There are some who say that because he's only mentioned a few times and because of the context of those passages, that really this is just another name being given to Jesus, to the second person of the Trinity. Because a lot of what Michael does matches up with what Jesus does. There are others who say that Michael is simply the chief angel, the archangel, and no more. But when it comes down to it, the identity of Michael is not going to be answered for us definitively until we get to heaven. An important point for us as we consider this passage from Revelation is what happens and, and not necessarily who Michael is. So, let's go back to Michael and his angels defeating the dragon. It's very clear that they stop the dragon. That's how the devil is portrayed here, as a dragon. He's referred to as the serpent called devil and Satan. And he is stopped from slandering. Literally, that's what devil means, the slanderer. And we know that the devil is like the chief liar, the biggest liar ever. That's why Jesus says in John 8 that, that the devil is the father of lies. And about what does the devil lie? Well, he lies about all kinds of things. But his most vicious lies have to do with God. Think about when the devil, when we hear about the devil first lying, his first interaction, his first conversation with a human, when he spoke with Eve in the garden, he started off with, did God really say? And then he went on and said, oh, you surely are not going to die if you eat of this fruit. In other words, he was saying that God was the liar. And the devil has not stopped lying, not even to us. Maybe these sorts of lies have popped up in your mind. Maybe you've said them before. God doesn't care about me. My life is so terrible. It's obvious God doesn't care about me. Or God is punishing me for all the things that I've done wrong. Or God must really hate me. Or maybe God doesn't really hear my prayers. How could he? There are so many people that are praying to him. You see, the devil wants us to doubt God. He wants us to think that God is simply lying to us. And so he tries to get us to believe anything about God except the truth. Anything that's opposite to what God's true nature is, that's what the devil wants us to believe about God. And if he can get us to, to start doubting, to, to start, stop trusting in God, 
Well, then the devil really has got his foot in the door. He always is barraging us with lies about God, trying to wear us down. The devil even tells us lies about how it is we get to heaven. Is this a lie? You have to do all kinds of good works in order to get to heaven. Absolutely, that's a lie. How about this one? Heaven is simply a state of mind. It's not a, an actual place. Yep, that's a lie too. How about this? God is too loving to send anybody to hell. Indeed, another lie. And when these lies are presented to us, even if we start or, or when we start to believe them, well, then we actually have an amazing truth detector to know whether or not those sorts of statements or thoughts are lies. All we have to do is look at what Scripture says. If we have questions about heaven, about salvation, about God himself, where do we look for the truth? We look to Scripture. We look to the Bible. And all of these lies that the devil tells us, that's part of what Michael and his angels are depicted as stopping in this text. They stop the dragon from lying, from slandering. And they also stop the dragon from accusing. That's what the name Satan means, the accuser. And for what it says in the text, Satan likes to accuse us of sins. And he does that before God. In verse 10, it talked about the one accusing our fellow Christians before our God day and night. You can picture it this way, constantly, day and night. The devil is running to God. And he's saying, hey, God, look at this so-called child of yours. He's at it again. He sinned. He messed up. He is a filthy, rotten person. It'd be better for you to go ahead and just give it to him right now. Better yet, let me have him. Now, maybe you've heard that conversation before. Maybe in your mind. The part about, I've really messed up. God is really going to give it to me now. We hear that type of conversation in our mind, really, whenever we sin, whenever we've been confronted with our sin. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing. We need to know when we have sinned so that we can go crawling to God to ask him for forgiveness. But once God has forgiven our sins, what happens to them? God says in Isaiah 43, right after he has forgiven us, he says, I will not remember your sins. We said it in the psalm that we read earlier, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. In other words, once God has forgiven our sins, they are gone. They don't exist. So why do we remember them? Why do we continue to feel guilty about them, even after they've been forgiven? Well, part of the reason is because of the accuser. Satan likes to remind us of our sins also. He likes to, to try to convince us that 
We are filthy, rotten, terrible people who deserve nothing from God. We don't deserve to be called God's own people. He wants us to despair of our salvation and give up completely. But remember, Satan has been thrown out. He has no power over us. In terms of being able to affect our eternal salvation, he is powerless. He may try. He may badger us. He may be the most annoying tattletale that ever lived, but he has been defeated. He cannot touch us. He has been stopped. That's the main message of this part of John's vision. He's going to continue to try to lie to us about God, about ourselves. He'll continue to accuse us of our sins. But we simply remember he has been stopped. Michael and his angels, you see, stop the dragon by the gospel. It says in verse 11, they conquered him because of the blood of the lamb. Now, if we were thinking of that phrase just in everyday English, we might say it's kind of ridiculous to try to think about this dragon, this ferocious beast being stopped by blood, much less the blood of a lamb. And yet we're too familiar with that term, the blood of the lamb, to forget about whom that's speaking. We hear that term and we know it's talking about Jesus, because we know who the Lamb is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, his death on the cross, the primary time that he shed blood for us, is what takes away our sin. All of our countless sins, all the times that we've believed the lies about God, all the times that we haven't done what we're supposed to, or that we've done what we're not supposed to, all of those sins mean that we owe God death. We owe him our very life. We are supposed to die because of our sin. The soul that sins shall die, God says in Ezekiel. But Jesus took that death on himself. He died in our place. He died instead of us. And now we don't owe God our lives because Jesus gave his life for us. And this is the essence of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus is that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's good news because without it, we would be lost. We and all people would be lost forever in hell. Note also that verse 11 of this passage says that the devil was conquered because of the word of their testimony. Now it's really not hard to figure out what that testimony is. The night before Jesus died, he told his disciples that he was going to send them the Holy Spirit to testify concerning Jesus. And then he added, but you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Just before Jesus ascended, he said, you will be my witnesses when he was talking to his disciples. In John's first letter, he describes the gospel as the testimony that God testified concerning his son. So this word of their testimony, 
by which the dragon is defeated is nothing else than the gospel. The good news that we are pronounced not guilty before God because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus was punished in our place. That gospel is what makes the devil the liar when he accuses us before God, because really there's, there's nothing to accuse us of. And how does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that, that the dragon has been defeated by the gospel, by the blood of the lamb? Well, it makes the angels rejoice. It says in verse 12, for this, namely the defeat of the dragon, the devil, for this be glad, you heavens, and you who live in them. The angels, St. Michael and, and all of his angels, are thrilled to know the devil has been defeated. We know what it's like to be thrilled about a victory. Think about the Olympics, for example. You're cheering on this person in the Olympics that's representing your country. You may not even know who this person was, but you're cheering them on. And when that, when that unknown to you before this moment person climbs the podium to get their medal, how do you feel? You, you swell up with that nationalistic pride. You're just so thrilled that, that your person won. Now take that feeling and multiply it by, I don't know, a billion times. That might come close to the rejoicing that goes on in heaven when one sinner repents. Think about what's at stake. Not a, not a gold medal that's going to eventually crumble, but the eternal lives of all people. Our eternal life. You see, the angels are thrilled over the fact that that the penalty for our sins has been paid, that by that payment, the devil has been defeated. They're also thrilled, again, about you. Jesus says in Luke 15, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When you were baptized, it could be that your family had some sort of a party, some sort of a celebration that day, but... Really, that celebration was nothing in comparison to the celebration that took place in heaven. Yes, indeed, the devil has been defeated. He's been defeated in your life. He has no power anymore to accuse you. We have nothing to worry about, right? We can coast now until we die. We don't have to do anything with this amazing good news other than Simply believe it, right? Note how the text ends. In verse 12 it says, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great anger, knowing that he has little time. Yes, the devil has been defeated by Christ's blood. But that doesn't mean that he stops fighting. He's going to work his hardest from now until the end of time to try to get us into his kingdom, to get as many people as possible into his kingdom. So we need to spread the news, the good news, that the devil cannot win. Ultimately, he cannot. He has been defeated. We need to tell as many people as possible 
that there is salvation, that there is eternal rescue in Jesus. We need to tell them that the angels in heaven, they're not just up there. They're not just floating around doing nothing, but they are rejoicing when one sinner repents. And we have the strength to do this. We have the strength to tell other people this amazing good news. Why? Because we're already on the winning side. Thanks be to God for his angels. But especially thanks be to him for his son, the Lamb of God, who has won the victory for us. Amen.